0: be expecting to receive it who is the gospel for and maybe immediately you say to me Andy the answer is kind of obvious the message of the gospel is for anyone you know anyone can be saved but I'm asking in our heart of hearts is that how you and I really think isn't it true that some of us think, well, this gospel, this message of Jesus Christ, more likely, most likely, it's a message for people like us. This message of salvation, all this talk of Jesus, it's not really for the poorest of the poor, you know. It's not for criminals. It's for kind of people like us, you know, good, hard-working, solid, middle-class, protestant type people. Is that how we're thinking? Or maybe we think the exact opposite to that. You know, maybe if I was to ask you personally this morning, one-on-one, you might say to me, who is this gospel for? (laughs) It is for anyone but me. You know, Mr. Minister, if you knew what my life was really like, and if you knew how I was really living, you would know that the gospel might be for these good people here, and it might be for nice people, but it's sure... It sure ain't for me. Well, friends, in Mark chapter 2, and what you've got in front of you, the Lord Jesus Christ, He answers this question for us, doesn't he? And what an answer. It's an answer that rocks the religious establishment of the time. Who is this gospel for? Look what Jesus says. He says, I have not come to call the righteous. I've not come to call the righteous. I have come to call sinners. Sinners. So this morning, the plan, the intention is to look at that. To look at this section of scripture that we've read together from verse 13 to verse 17. And to do so under three very, very sort of simple and straightforward headings. Okay. So without any further delay, friends, let's turn to Mark's Gospel if we haven't already done so. And let's consider this first heading. A call to the wicked. That's our first heading. A call to the wicked. Okay, if you've been here uh, over the last uh, number of weeks, yeah, over the last couple of months even, what you'll have seen is Jesus go in and out of the local town, Capernaum. Isn't that what we've seen He's been in and out of that town, in and out. And here in this section, we kind of see him leave that place, that town once again. But I want you to see that he doesn't go very far, does he? In verse 13, you'll see that he goes out and he continues his ministry. Importantly, he continues his teaching ministry and it is at the nearby Lake of Galilee. So he hasn't gone very far at all. Now, okay, the first the first part of this passage that we're dealing with here, it clearly focuses on Jesus calling to himself a new disciple. Everyone sees that, right? He's calling to himself a new disciple. If you and I are going to understand the section at all, we really have to focus in on this man's occupation. So do you see what the guy does? Look at verse 14 with me. Do you see it? So Jesus is walking along here. He saw Levi. This is his new disciple and he's sitting at a tax collector's booth right so this guy that we're dealing with and focusing in on is a tax collector now that brings us to this little nugget of knowledge doesn't it that that (laughs) most of us have like if you were brought up in the church and you were brought up going to Sunday school what do you know? you know that tax collectors they were the most popular bunch of people not that they ever are but uh, that they were, you know, weren't particularly popular in the ancient world Everyone knows that, we know that Now, the question that I want us to, to consider just now Trying to unpack is why? Like, okay, these tax collectors were hated You know, okay, they were kind of despised in the society But what was it about them that was just so horrendous? Well, I don't know if uh, you've heard of the name Morris Popin. you heard the name before? Maurice Popin. I won't surprise you that Maurice Popin, with a name like that, is a French guy. Maurice Popin. Now, on the surface of things, Popin was a decent guy. Good guy. Um, he was a policeman um, in the very south of France in the 1940s. You know, serving the people, it would seem. Many years later, it actually materializes that for all those years... That throughout the war, what Popin was doing secretly on, and on the side was arresting hundreds and hundreds of local French Jews secretly. And he was having them deported all the way to Nazi Germany to the concentration camps. I was reading that this week and I was thinking, I, I thought my view of humanity could not get any lower and you read of a man like that, you know? A Nazi sympathizer, but a man who is betraying his very own people, French people. And I want you to understand this morning, that is Levi. Do you see it? That was tax collectors. Do you see what, what Romans uh, used to do? They would lease out, if you like, the, the, the job of a local customs officer. Do you see it? So you could actually, if you had enough money, you could buy the right to become a local customs officer. And that kind of freed you up to be able to extort and rip off the inhabitants of the land. Do you see it? That is what this man Levi is doing. Like he is a Jew. He's a Jew. He's one of his people that not only is he working and serving headed Antipas, the local dictator, he is also serving this, this despised Roman occupation. Are you not amazed at how horrific this man is? He's a loan shark. He's a collaborator all rolled in the way. He's a beast of a man. He's the lowest of the lowest. And what are you reading this morning? A man like that is called by the lord jesus christ now there's a couple of things that i want you to notice about the call that he receives. so first of all think about this think about the fact that levi is called immediately like i wonder if you're thinking about this and try to picture the scene jesus down there by the lake of galilee i wonder what you might expect jesus to say to a man like levi given what we've seen about how horrendous he is what would you expect jesus to say to him you might expect to to go to him in the tax booth and say levi sort your life out man you are betraying your people stop this you know get out of this tax collector's booth stop being a tax collector Levi, go and sort your life out. And I will come back in a couple of months. And if you've sorted your life out, I will call you. Is that what Jesus says? Don't you see what he does? He calls this wicked man from his tax booth. Do you see it? He calls this man from his state of wickedness. He he calls him immediately. And then I'll give you another thing to think. Think about the fact that this man, Levi, a man like this, is called to greatness. Now I wonder, do you see what I mean by that? Levi called to greatness. We, we are privileged and delighted that we have a new baby in the life of the congregation. We rejoice with a bit in our family. But depending on which of the children you talk to, the baby's got two names. It's either Mary... Or it's Mary Cordelia. It's a baby with with two names. Do you see that that's what you have in front of you? This man is Levi. What is his other name? This man is Matthew. Do you see what that means? Do you see what that tells us? A man like this, a horrible, wicked, abhorrent Nazi sympathizer like this is called to be what? One of Jesus' 12 disciples. I mean, this man, this man is called to be privileged enough to to write one of the gospel accounts of Jesus' life. This guy, this wicked guy. And then you listen to me. Let me read you Revelation chapter 21. Listen to this. This is speaking of heaven. This is speaking of the new Jerusalem. And it says, there the walls of that city has 12 foundations and on those foundations are the names of the 12 apostles of Islam. This guy, the tax collector, this collaborating wretch of a guy, he has his name engraved on the very foundation stone of glory. Such is the power of God's call. And I'm saying to you as a congregation I pray that you see the hope that is in, in that for, for you and I and for London City Presbyterian Church. Do you see the hope that should give us? to you? Like isn't it true friends that every single one of us eh, who is a Christian in this room just now, we have people in our lives who are not saved and, and we have people in our lives that that seem so entrenched in their immoral and uh, debauched lifestyles. Isn't that the case? Like, we're asking this question, who is the gospel for? It sure doesn't seem to be for those people, does it? You know, we love those people, and we pray for those people, and we long for those people to be saved, and they seem so utterly disinterested and they seem so fixed and established in their wickedness and how do we think about those things isn't it the case that we in our heart of hearts think oh those people are going to have to come such a long way if they are ever going to be saved do we think that don't we think wow these people are going to have to move so far in their thinking, their behaviour and their attitude if they are ever going to come to the Lord Jesus Christ don't you think like that I stand here before you and I say no Look at Levi. I mean, look at this man. Immediately he is called by Jesus. Do you see it? Instantaneously, the word penetrates this man's heart. Instantaneously, this man is changed. Friends, understand this. That even the people in your life, that they can be called from their tax booths. That they can be called from their wickedness. That they can be called to Greatness in the kingdom of God. You know, if God can call Levi, I tell you this, if God can call me, if God can call you, then God can call and save even those in our lives who seem resolute in their immorality. We should praise God this morning for Mark 2. We should praise him that even a tax collector like this man is not beyond the grace of God. So we see a call to wickedness. Okay, I want us to consider a second heading together. Let's consider a call to the outcasts. A call to the outcasts. Okay. Now if if we know anything about Indian culture uh, we know that historically Indian culture was based on a sort of caste system don't we and this w- w- sort of uh, social structuring that had I uh, what the high class people called in the Indian culture was it Brahmins something like that and then you had the social structure that would work its way down right through the, the, the class system and then you would get to the very bottom wouldn't you and you would get to, to, to people who were viewed as being so lowly that they were almost outside the social structure, weren't they? Like they were seen as being the outcasts. They were seen as being the kind of ostracite. They were seen as being the untouchables, weren't they? You heard that before? Well, that's what you and I are dealing with in Mark chapter 2. And um, I, I wonder, did, did, did you see what Levi does next? So he's, he's been called. You can kind of almost see that, that this man's kind of jumping for joy a little bit, isn't he? He's been he's been he's been called by Jesus. So what does he do? Um, he organises a party. I think you could probably say, can you? Like he he gets a feast and and it's a meal and he invites Jesus and he invites his friends round, friends that Scripture calls here tax collectors and sinners. Now here's my point. That idea of sinners there is almost a technical idea. So do you see the scene in Levi's house? You have Jesus, and he is surrounded here by the ostracized. Do you get it? Like, he is surrounded by the outcast. He is surrounded by the untouchables of Capernaum society. How does it go down? Like, look at this, The, the, the Pharisees. I mean, they're absolutely repulsed by this, aren't they? They're disgusted. I mean, Jesus is a teacher of the law. He's a rabbi. Like, how can he possibly be mixing with these sorts of people? Friends, I wonder if you see what is happening here. All of this is paving the way for one of God's greatest announcements. Jesus stands there. He says to the world, he says to the Pharisees, I have not come for people like you. I, the the Lord Christ, the Son of God, I have not come for the religious elite. No. Jesus surely looking at these outcasts and these lowly people around him, he says, I've come for, I've come for people like this. And that was scandalous, wasn't it? I mean, it's a shocking thing for Jesus to say, but do you see what it means for us in here? Who's the gospel for? Who is the gospel for? Jesus has not come for good people. Like he has not come for the nice people. Are you hearing me? Like he has not come for the self-righteous. He's not come for the self-satisfied. He's not come for the self-interested. Who has he come for? He's come for the lowly and the downcast. Listen to me. He has come for anyone of any class, of any caste. Of any colour Of any category He has come for anyone who recognises their sin And their need of forgiveness from God And I'm here just now and I'm asking Is that how you perhaps came into church today? Did you come in here perhaps maybe even for the first time And did you come in here with a a broken heart? Did you come in here with a, a contrite heart? God, is that you? Do you not hear what God says? Do you not hear what, what Jesus says to you this morning? Who is the gospel for? It is for you. Isn't it? It is for you that this message of salvation, it is for you that Christ did not come for the righteous. He came for sinners. He came for you. But friends, there is a, another thing here. I wonder, um, a London City Presbyterian church, if you're a Christian here this morning, I wonder, do you see the challenge that is before you in the supper scene in Levi's house? Do you see the challenge that it poses to us as believers I have been uh, the minister, the pastor of this church now for uh, just about three years. It's coming up for three years. And uh, I am consistently encouraged by uh, how the congregation here has a desire to reach out to the lost with the gospel. It's a source of consistent encouragement to see how... Uh, London City Presbyterian Church, we we want to see even this church and the people here, we want to see it grow don't we? But I wonder this um, for all of us here sometimes do our social aspirations do they cloud our evangelistic Desire do you see what I mean by that? like we want this church to grow, don't we? We want people in here, but who do we want in here? Is't it the case that if we really strip away everything in our heart of hearts, we want people in here like us? Isn't that it? Like we want we want people we click with and connect with. And people in the same sort of social standing and social situations as ourselves. Isn't that it? Don't we? And we want people who are free church, or people who at least understand what Presbyterianism is. And I really am wondering, would we be willing to do what Jesus does here in Mark 2? And would we be willing to surround ourselves with the dregs and with the outcasts and the ostracized of society would we really be willing to do that and i was going to ask you this question i was going to ask see in the next couple of weeks if people from the margins of society were to come in here and worship with us i was going to ask how would we respond Would we show them Christian love? I am not going to ask you that question. Instead, I'll ask you this. How have we responded? How have we responded, even in recent weeks, when those on the margins of society have come in here and they have worshipped with us? Have we been noticed? Have we extended to these people the warmth of christian love friends what we got in mark chapter 2 is the greatest news is it not that christ has come and he has come for sinners but what a challenge that sets to his church so we see a call to the wicked and we see a call to the outcasts and then the third and and, and last point we see also here a call to intimacy intimacy A call to intimacy. Um, A while ago, I was speaking to a South Korean girl, (coughs) excuse me, who had worshipped with us for quite a long time and was leaving to go back home. And I was doing what I tend to do when somebody leaves the church and I try and pick their brains about their sort of reflections in the life of the congregation, both positive and negative. And so this girl was, was chatting to me about all this sort of stuff and she she said that that she'd actually been in London for quite a number of months before she started attending the church here and she said you know in all that time she'd never actually been into an English person's home never been she'd been here for months but never been into someone's home and and she said all that changed uh, when she started attending LCPC and she said you know what, what really struck me what blew me away um was just how often that she was invited into people's homes you know it blew it away just how many times she was invited into the intimacy of sharing a meal with the people of God she, she really really valued that and I'm sure you know that that is a scriptural idea in many ways isn't it like throughout the bible like that idea of sharing a meal with somebody it was actually a, a, a sign of fellowship wasn't it like it was a sign of intimacy think about it the Lord eh, descending, if, if you like, to, to meet with Abraham and, and, and they share that, that moment, they share the, the meal, a sign of intimacy and so as, as we refocus on, on Mark chapter 2, isn't it amazing what we see the Lord of Glory having called these sinners to repentance and faith, what does he do? He shares a meal with them And Mark is at pains. He's banging his pulpit, if you like. He is at pains to to emphasize this time and time again. He says, Jesus ate with him. Look at the intimacy. Jesus, he ate with these people. And friends, I wonder, do you see what this supper scene in Levi's house is pointing us to as the people of God? Do you see it? Surely this here, what you have in Mark chapter 2, in that Pernam house, it is a foreshadow, it's a taste, if you'll allow that, of the great feast that awaits you and I in glory. Isn't that it? That in heaven is prepared for the people of God a meal. A meal. That there will be a banquet like none other. There's going to be a time of celebration. And there's going to be a time of singing. A time where we sit across from familiar faces of family and of friends and of other forgiven saints. And wait a minute, think about this. That such will be the meal that this very guy, Levi, would write later on in his gospel, Levi, would write this. Many will come on that occasion. And they will recline at that table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Do you see it? There is prepared for the people of God a heavenly banquet. And I don't know about you, but I love that picture. I think that's a beautiful thing. But you know, it gets better than that, doesn't it? Because what would we learn in Mark chapter 2? We learn that at that meal, the Lord Jesus Christ will be present. That the Lord Jesus will be there at that meal. Isn't that a thought? That this heavenly meal is not just a feast, is it? What is it? It is a wedding feast, isn't it? It is the marriage supper of whom? Of the Lamb. Jesus is going to be there with us. That the one who calls these sinners, that the one who laid down his life for his sinners, there and then he's going to take his place amongst these sinners. Jesus is going to be there. The Lord of glory is going to take his place at the the seat of honor. Christ will be at that heavenly feast. Do you see where I'm going with this? Do you see? Do you see the precious news? What is Mark chapter 2 about? Who else will be there? you will be there. Do you see that? If you, like these forgiven sinners at Capernaum, have heard the call of Jesus Christ, you will be there. That such is the power of the gospel. Such is the forgiveness that we receive at the cross that one day you and I are going to revel in the intimacy and fellowship of a meal with Jesus and until now you feast on that, you meditate upon that, you think about the one day you are king, you are saviour, you are lord, he will recline next to you. And so I ask you this, will you be there? We are talking about a feast, a feast, a banquet in heaven. Will you be there? Have you until this day been seeing things like a Pharisee? Have you not recognized that you are a sinner and in need? Is that the case? Have you been living in the tax booth of your immorality up until this day? Are you maybe now seeing the truth, the answer to the question, Who is the gospel for? It is for me. It is for me. If so, friend do as this man Levi does and this morning you follow Jesus follow him because listen to what he goes on to say later on in scripture you listen to these words Jesus says if anyone hears my voice and opens the door you ready for his promise I will come in and I will eat eat with him and he with me is that not the most beautiful thing you have ever heard friend if you have not done so repent and believe in Jesus follow him and secure this morning your seat and that glorious and that lasting heavenly meal let's pray